Good morning. Uh, lovely to be here uh, and welcome you uh, to our service this morning, uh, Holy Communion service uh, this morning on this uh, Sunday before Advent, um, commonly called Stir Up Sunday, that's right. And then they changed the name of it uh, a number of years ago to Christ the King uh, Sunday. And so really, uh, this is traditionally the Sunday whenever people would stir up uh, their Christmas puddings uh, and begin to make all of those uh, in the run-up and the preparation for Christmas. Uh, in the church's year, that's seen as the Sunday that we stir up ourselves in faith um, and in life, uh, promising that we will uh, look forward to the coming Messiah uh, and the coming time of Advent um, as well. Um, so let's, as we begin this morning, uh, whether you're visiting with us today in person, we bid you a warm welcome, or indeed, if you've joined us online, we welcome you uh, as well as we come to worship today. Uh, as we begin, we're going to pray uh, using the collect uh, for today. Let's uh, turn our hearts to God in prayer. Uh, stir up, we beseech thee, O Lord, the wills of thy faithful people, are they plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works, may of thee be plenteously rewarded. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is how God showed his love amongst us, that he sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him, because he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, because by his wounds we have been healed. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. We have two psalms uh, this morning that we're looking at, Psalm 130 and Psalm 131. Um, let's pray as we um, begin. Lord God, we just thank you for your presence amongst us, and we pray that as we look at your word together, that you would speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I'm going to focus particularly on Psalm 130, and then I'm going to mention Psalm 131 towards the end. So it's not going to be a double-length sermon, so don't worry about that. But there are two psalms that we're looking at, 130 and 131. Psalm 130 is one of the psalms of ascent, which we've been looking at over the last uh, number of weeks together. But it's also part of another collection of psalms. Um, it's one of seven psalms throughout the book. Uh, which is known as one of the penitential psalms. Historically, it's been seen as part of a collection uh, called the penitential psalms. And these are psalms that share a theme of repentance, of crying out to God 
for mercy, crying out to God for forgiveness. And we know that these Psalms of Ascent that we've been looking at, and Psalm 130 and 131 are part of that group. They're songs for the journey, songs that the Israelites would have sung as they traveled up, as they went on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to their religious festivals. But in Psalm 130, we also see the writer himself going on a journey throughout that psalm. There are kind of three, um, four steps to that journey. And um, in most of um, your Bibles, you'll see that it's actually broken up into uh, four little paragraphs, four little sections. We see that the writer goes on a journey from being in the depths to a place of trusting in God. So there's a, there's a journey that they go on throughout the psalm from the depths to a place of trusting with God. At the beginning of the psalm, we get this really vivid picture of the writer's state of mind. They say, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. That's where they are at the beginning of the psalm. And that word for depths, the Hebrews would have used that word to describe the sea. The sea was the deepest place they knew of, and it was a place for them of chaos. It symbolized sort of chaos and danger uh, for the Israelite people. And so this is the place that the psalmist feels he is in at the beginning, in the depths, out of his depth in the ocean. No way of rescuing himself. And I wonder if that's a place that some of us can relate to. We know what it feels like to be in the depths, out of our depth, unable to rescue ourselves in a place of chaos. And that's where uh, the psalm writer begins his journey. When I was growing up, we, um, we used to go on camping holidays quite a lot. And one of the favorite places we went to was Swanage in Dorset. Um, and there's a lovely beach in Swanage that we would regularly visit when we were there um, called Manawar Bay. Uh, it's just next to a, a more famous uh, place called um, Durdle Door. It's a big kind of rock um, archway called Durdle Door. That's the most famous one. But just to the side of it uh, was another beach called Manawar Bay, and that's where we used to go quite often. And it was a lovely little cove, but it was quite deep. So you could go out a little way to the sea, and then it would, deep, it would shelve underneath, and it was really deep under there. And we, sometimes we would go diving and take face masks and snorkels, go for a swim and have a look at the fish. But one uh, holiday we were there in Manawar Bay, and myself, uh, my younger sister and my older brother, we took a dinghy out onto the sea, and we were paddling around on the sea. We weren't very far from the beach, but we were paddling around, and after a while, we started to paddle back into shore. But as we did that, we began to realize that we weren't really moving. There were quite strong currents in that little bay, and we were paddling away, but the dinghy was staying where it was. And so my sister was starting to get a little bit worried, starting to panic. Me and my brother were thinking, well, we just paddle harder, and maybe that will work. So we carried on paddling, but after a while, we realized we really weren't moving at all. Uh, a man who had been swimming nearby had obviously noticed what was happening and noticed that we were starting to worry a little bit. And so he swam over to us and grabbed hold of the rope on the um, end of the dinghy and he pulled us in. Um, and he, pull he pulled us in. We were, we'd been out of our depths. Um, we couldn't do anything to actually get back in on our own. We we're paddling as hard as we could, but we needed somebody to pull us out. We needed his help. 
And the psalmist is in that place. He's in the depths. He's out of his depth and he realizes that he can't get out on his own. He needs to be rescued. He needs somebody to pull him out. And so he cries out to God for mercy. But the psalm writer also realizes that it's not just the circumstances of life that's got him in this position. He realizes that actually he's at fault, that he needs God's mercy because it's his sin, his disobedience that has got him into this depths. He feels the weight of his own guilt and his shame as well. And so he cries out to God for mercy. And I think many of us, certainly I know uh, what it feels like sometimes to be to have that sense of guilt, to have that sense of uh, the weight of our own sin, our disobedience. Maybe when that uh, bad habit that we've been really trying hard to get control over gets the best of us again. Or maybe sometimes we're in the heat of the moment. We say something that we know we shouldn't have said, and it's too late, it's out there, and it's done the harm. Or maybe we lose our temper again when we've been trying so hard to keep and control of it, but we, we just lose it again. Or maybe we feel like we've let God down in other ways, we've disobeyed him. Maybe we have felt God prompting us to do something, but we've ignored that prompting, and we feel guilty, we feel unworthy. Well, the psalmist is in this place of distress. He feels the weight of his sin. He feels the guilt. But he's taken this first step because he's recognized that in this place, in this depths that he feels that he's in, he recognizes that he needs to cry out to God. He can't save himself. And one thing I find really encouraging about this psalm is that the prayer is a cry. He cries out to God. That's all he can manage when he's in the depths. I wonder, do you ever hear people pray um, in a meeting or in church and you think, wow, I wish I could pray like that. I, w I wish I had the words to express what's on my heart. I wish I could be so eloquent in prayer. But when I pray to God, it's just a, a muddle of words. I get all mixed up, and, and I don't really know how to communicate the, the things that are on my heart to God. Well, Psalm 130 gives us permission just to cry out, just to cry out to God. Often the most heartfelt prayers, the most genuine prayers of our heart, are those cries. They're not eloquent, nice, neat, neatly constructed prayers. They're the cries of our heart. And the good news is that that's all we need because God hears the cries of his people's heart. Sometimes we can suspect that those eloquent prayers that we might hear uh, are impressive to God, that maybe he listens to them more than he listens to my uh, muddled up words. But actually, that's, that's not true at all. God hears the cries of his people's heart. And that's our first step, and that's the psalm writer's first step towards forgive, uh, receiving God's forgiveness, to recognize our own sin and to cry out to God for mercy. He recognizes that he needs a savior, that he's powerless to defeat it in his own strength. And I wonder for us, if we're still trying to live upright, good, and holy lives in our own strength, we find that we're just paddling against the current. We're not actually going anywhere because we need somebody to pull us in. We need a savior. And this is what the psalm writer recognizes. He cries out to God for mercy. 
So the second step in this journey, the psalmist has recognized his own sin. He's cried out to God for mercy. But what is it that gives him confidence to do that, to come before God, um, even though he recognizes his failings? He turns to God. Sometimes we can feel unworthy or undeserving to come to God, when when, especially when we're in, the, we're in that place where we feel the kind of guilt to, and we feel we've let God down. It can be a time where actually we turn away from God rather than come towards him. But the psalm writer doesn't do this. He comes towards God because he knows something about God's character. He knows that if God's uh, attitude towards us depended on our good record, then actually no one would be worthy. No one could stand before God if it depended on our uh, good record, our, on our character. But what the psalm writer knows is that actually it depends on God's character, who God is. And he knows that God is a merciful God. He knows that God is a God who longs to restore the relationship with us. He longs to draw close to us. He longs to show us mercy and to forgive us. And he's just waiting for us to come to him and cry for mercy. I wonder, is that your image of God? I wonder how you see God when you imagine him. Do you see God as something like a strict headmaster who um, keeps a record, a report card, all the merits and all the demerits against us and keeps that on our permanent record? Well, the psalmist knows that if we had this kind of God, we couldn't stand. Not one of us would stand with that kind of God. But actually, the character of God is a God who desires mercy, who always tends towards mercy, who wants to restore a relationship with his people. So the psalmist has confidence in this kind of God. But for us today, we have even more reason than the writer of this psalm to have confidence in the mercy and forgiveness of God. Even more reason. Why? Because of Jesus. Because we know the lengths that God went to so that we could be forgiven. We know what he was willing to do so that we could have that forgiveness. And as has been mentioned, we're coming up to the season of Advent, that time uh, in the church's calendar where we particularly remember Jesus coming as a baby in Bethlehem. And we remember then um, later on in this service, as we take communion together, that Jesus grew up and he went to the cross for us. And on the cross, he took the price of all of our sin, all of our failings, all of those mistakes, past, present, and future. All of those things are washed clean through what Jesus did on the cross for us so that we can have even more confidence than this psalm writer in coming before God for mercy. We don't come based on our own record, on this report card with merits and demerits. We come based on Jesus, based on the record card of Jesus. I love the, the words of that hymn, And Can It Be, which says this, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. We can approach that eternal throne. We can approach God with boldness 
because we know that no matter how deep in the depths we've sunk, no matter how far we've drifted away, that in God there is a new start, there is forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us. So the psalmist recognises the character of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness that that he knows, he has confidence that he's going to find in God. And then thirdly, once he's cried out to God in mercy, for mercy, he waits. He waits on God's response. And the English word for wait uh, that we translate, um, we use the word wait translating from the Hebrew, but the original Hebrew word um, actually had... um, a richer meaning um, that isn't really uh, displayed in that word wait. It's something like to stretch towards or to endure. So it has this sense of not just waiting passively, not just sitting back, but actually stretching towards something. It's a waiting with eagerness, with expectation. It's not a passive waiting. And I was trying to think of a good analogy uh, for this. And this maybe reveals something about me, but what I've thought about is when you're waiting on a takeaway to arrive, when you're waiting on a delivery of a takeaway. You've got your table laid, you've got your soy sauce out, you've got your money sitting on the side ready to tip the driver, um, you, you're, you're hungry, and um, you don't just sit back and go to sleep, but you're checking out the window. Every time you hear a, an engine go, you think, is that it? Is it coming? And you're looking out to see if it's arriving, you're waiting with eagerness and expectation, waiting for that takeaway to arrive. The psalmist uses a slightly different analogy. Don't know if they had takeaway food back in those days, Um, but they use the analogy of the watchman waiting for the morning. Uh, The watchman were the people on the walls, keeping the city safe, watching out for anybody coming. And they had to wait expectantly because they couldn't afford to drift off, they couldn't afford to be passive, go to sleep. They had to wait with this expectation, um, because they had to be alert. But they also waited with confidence, because they knew for certain that the morning was coming. So even in the darkness of the night, they knew that the light would come. And so it is for us that as we wait on God's response, we can wait with confidence, because even in the darkest time, we know that God's hope, God's light will dawn. God will respond. And sometimes in that waiting time, we can feel like the time is being wasted. Waiting can feel like wasted time. But actually, uh, for the psalm writer and for us, that time of waiting can be a time for growth. It can be a time where God actually teaches us to trust in him, to trust in his timing rather than our own um, timing. And so that's what happens to the psalmist. They actually grow through this experience of waiting on God, waiting with expectation for him to respond. And we come to the fourth and the final step in this journey. It's as if the psalmist has come to the end of the journey where they actually have come to a place of faith and assurance that God has heard their cry for mercy and that God will respond. He says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. With him is full redemption. He knows that God has everything he needs, and he's ready to actually testify and share that with other people. He says to others, hope in the Lord. With him is full redemption. He knows that God has heard 
and he's come to that place of trust. And in the second psalm that we heard read earlier on, Psalm 131, there's a beautiful picture of trust, of this place of trust. The psalm writer uses the analogy of a weaned child with their mother. It says this, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. A weaned child is a child that's growing up. It's a child that's moved on from milk to solid food. And the psalm writer has matured too through this journey. He's able to say, I do not concern myself with great matters. They're not fretting anymore about things that are out of their control, about what God is doing in the waiting time or or when is God going to respond. They're not fretting about these great matters outside of their control. They just trust in God. They trust that God will provide, that God will respond, and that God has everything they need, just like a weaned child trusting in their mother. They don't understand great matters, but they know that they're safe in their mother's arms. So however we're feeling today, whatever depths you might be going through, or whether you're in that place of trusting in God, let's remember that we can always bring our cries to God, that we don't have to have these eloquent, neat prayers. We can cry out to him for mercy. And let's have that confidence that he will hear the cry of, our, of his people. Let's pray. Lord God, we just want to thank you that you are a God who hears our cries. And Lord God, um, wherever we are uh, today, Lord, however we're feeling, I just pray that um, each one of us would be able to um, have that faith and that confidence built that you are a God who desires to draw near to us, who desires to show us mercy, to restore a relationship, And Lord God, we um, thank you for all that Jesus did for us on the cross as we come now to communion. In Jesus' name, amen. We hear uh, these very familiar words as a benediction and a blessing um, over us. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, with the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Rest upon each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.